quite a while ago now. I was watching my grandma, who was in her final days of having battled Alzheimer's for quite a while. Uh, my parents were already in Arizona for the winter, and the rest of us, our whole family, was going to be going down and spending Christmas in Arizona, and so we were looking forward to that. But in the meantime, I was visiting my grandma, who of course was in a nursing home, and I just hated to think about her being alone on Christmas, even though she really, of course, wasn't going to be alone, and even though at that point in the disease, she didn't know who I was or didn't even know when people would come. But still, it was Christmas, and for me, Christmas was all about grandma and grandpa, right? Every Christmas Eve, we'd go for the lutefisk and the roast beef. Christmas Eve meant waiting for the dishes to be done before we'd do a little program and open up our gifts. I can still remember exactly where the tree stood in their living room and even some of the ornaments on it. I knew that every Christmas Eve, the very last thing we would do before we'd go home that evening would be, would be Grandma getting out a plate of her Christmas cookies. I still make one of those recipes yet today, right? And so as I sat at her bedside, holding her hand and watching her breathe, I uh, was very sad, of course. And I remember praying to God that God would take her sooner rather than later, even as I was ashamed of myself for praying such a thing. She died on December 20th that year. It was the day after we had left for Arizona. Later on, a week or so later when we were all back in Minnesota and at her visitation, I remember my mom saying in response to my own tears, why in the world are you crying? And maybe she was right. After all, she went on to tell me about a dream that she had had the night before my grandma died in which my grandpa came to her in her dream and was coming to get grandma. He was getting ready to take her back to heaven. But still, this was my grandma, right? The one who made the best chocolate cake with fudge frosting ever and would serve it on those little glass plates on Sunday afternoon to whichever company would stop by. This was my grandma who taught me how to make beet pickles and how to embroider. She was the one that always had to change her clothes before we could run to the store because she had to look nicer. And she was the one who would sit in her chair and cheer for both the twins, but also Vern Ganya and the Wrestling Federation, even though I would try to tell her, Grandma, it's all fake. But she would still cheer for him. Today, whenever I remember my grandma, there is joy in my heart from so many years of good, good memories, and also sadness that so many years have passed without her. In an interview on her show On Being, host Krista Tippett tells writer Ross Gay about a rhetorical question she has heard recently. And that question was, how can we possibly be joyful in a moment like this? She wanted to know what his response would be to that kind of question. And he went on and said, joy has nothing to do with anything being easy and everything to do with the fact that we are all going to die. He said, when I'm thinking about joy, I'm thinking about that at the same time as something wonderful is happening, some connection is being made in my life, we are also in the process of dying. That is every moment. Every moment. He is not the only one to talk about this deep interconnectedness between sorrow and joy. 
When I brought up this topic at our tech study earlier this week with my colleagues, one of the pastors told me that she has a sign in her office that reads, joy is not the absence of suffering, but the presence of God. As we kept talking, I decided I would amend that sign to say joy is not the absence of suffering, but the presence and the assurance of God. Archbishop Desmond Tutu said, discovering joy does not save us from the inevitability of hardship and heartbreak. In fact, we may cry more easily, but we will laugh more easily as well. Perhaps we are just more alive. Yet, as we discover joy, we can face suffering in a way that ennobles rather than embitters. We can have hardship without becoming hard, and we have heartbreak without becoming broken. Now, it's, it's not the only place, but perhaps it's one of the best places to see this interconnectedness of joy and sorrow in our lives, and that would be at, at a deathbed or at a funeral. In those places when there is an underpinning of joy that is present, when those who are gathered together believe and experience this presence and assurance of God, then what you often see and hear are both tears and laughter. Stories are told about beginnings and endings and precious moments, or the most embarrassing moments have to be brought out to be rehashed once again. And all of that happens even as hands are being held and tears fall. All of that happens because joy is present. Joy, a deep contentment, a gratitude, a serenity, a peace. Joy is that which happens when we care for and love that which is outside of ourselves. Joy is what happens when we love. Certainly Mary knew this. Upon coming to grips with this unexpected reality of her pregnancy, she sings this beautiful song of joy and justice that, that we continue to celebrate and sing a couple of thousand of years later. But how foolish it would be for us if we were to think that such a song of joy would be her only emotion. Imagine her terror. Think about her worry and anxiety. And even her, her anger. How likely would it have been that she must have had a moment of why me? A lament of sorrow in that sense before her song of joy at this turn of events. And certainly there had to have been sorrow. Sorrow for the dreams that she must have had that would no longer now be possible. Sorrow for a changed relationship with Joseph and for a loss of innocence. Sorrow for the likely loss of other relationships because of this scandal. And she had no idea what sorrow was awaiting her as she became a mother as well. So imagine as Mary sang, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Imagine her singing such a song with both laughter and tears. True joy. Such joy also makes me wonder about John the Baptist and if there was any joy present for him in the, the darkness and the horror of his prison cell. We're told that John first leaped for joy in, about being in the presence of Jesus while he was still in his mother's womb. His father, Zechariah, was told upon his impending birth that this was to be a child of joy and delight. 
We are struck by the boldness of his prophetic voice as he prepared the way for the Messiah. But such prophecy had also gotten him into trouble, and he was now condemned to the darkness of prison, never knowing which day might be his last. Of course he began to wonder if this was truly the Messiah. After all, he was no different than the rest of us in having some preconceived notions about what it meant to have the Messiah come. So I wonder how he might have felt when the message came back. Tell John that the blind are receiving sight and the lame are walking and the lepers are being cleansed, the deaf are hearing, the dead are being raised and the poor are hearing the good news. Did he hear that good news even in the midst of his sorrow? Did his heart once again leap for joy knowing that this good news included him? Did he find contentment and joy as he understood that even if the Messiah wasn't acting as he expected, he was still most definitely in the presence of the Messiah? And did that knowledge and wonder that his proclamation was true and that God, Emmanuel, was present, did that offer him peace in the last days of his life? There is much sorrow in our midst today as there is in every moment really every single one of us lives with sadness and big deaths and little deaths they're always happening they are always around us and in us but we believe we believe that God Emmanuel is indeed with us and loves us and promises to never abandon us or leave us forsaken and that knowledge is joy and we can grow that joy every time we join our laughter to our tears every time we join our dreams to our disappointments join our promises to our actions and it's joy it's joy that will help us to endure hardship without becoming hard and heartbreak without becoming broken I invite you to take to heart and to sing for joy this benediction given to you as written by Archbishop Tutu. Dear child of God, you are loved with a love that nothing can shake, a love that loved you long before you were created, and a love that will be there long after everything has disappeared. You are precious with a preciousness that is totally quite immeasurable. And God wants you to be like God filled with life and goodness and laughter and joy. God, who is forever pouring out God's whole being from all eternity, wants you to flourish. God wants you to be filled with joy and excitement and ever longing to be able to find what is so beautiful in God's creation, the compassion of so many, the caring, the sharing. And God says, please, my child, help me. Help me to spread love and laughter and joy and compassion. And you know what, my child? As you do this, hey, presto, you discover joy. Joy which you had not sought. Joy which comes as gift. Gift for you. Amen.